Hey, it's David Ward. Real quick before we get to the episode, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening. And if you're enjoying the content, please share and subscribe to the podcast. I've heard every time you subscribe, a drummer gets their wings. So please help a drummer out and subscribe. All right, now on to the show. Enjoy. Hey, this is Katrina Chester, and you're hanging with me on Musicians on the Record. Hit it, Dave. Hi, welcome to Musicians on the Record. I'm David Ward. This is the show where we get the musician's story, and I'm really excited. On the show today, singer, musician, Katrina Chester is on the show. Welcome, Katrina. Oh, thank you so much. It's really great to know that you're out there doing things like this because the music world really needs it. Well, thank you. My pleasure to be interviewing you. And, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to talk with you today is certainly to talk more about your music story and where that is at today, as well as you're in the middle of making a documentary around your dad, legendary session drummer, Gary Chester. Uh, Can you talk about how that's going and what's that like for you? Oh, it's loaded. It's loaded. Um, He passed away 30 years ago last August. And besides being a session uh, drummer, he created the system, the new breed. And from that, prior to that, and then from that, he had legions and legions of students all over the world. um, And it was based in New York. So there were students, um, drummers in and out of our house my entire life. I just thought everybody had drummers coming in and out of their house their entire life. Who was visiting you guys? Well, in particular, in regards to the documentary, it's this one guy that I remembered. He had like really puffy hair and he was a student that was just always around. And his name was Anthony Cruz. They called him Tony. And he was like a monster drummer and my dad loved him and he was just always around. And after my father passed, I think a lot of, a lot of us, we sort of tried to find our way after such a great loss. Um, And in that process, we all sort of went our separate ways and flash forward 30 years later I guess he was keeping tabs on me a little bit and he knew that I was sort of um, holding down the fort and managing my dad's stuff throughout my career. I was doing that as well for my mom and for my dad. And I get an email 30 years later that says, Hey Katrina, um, I don't know if you remember me, but this is Tony Cruz and I want to talk to you because I want to make an homage to my teacher, just like a 40 minute piece for students. And and I opened this email and I was like, Tony Cruz, that's just nuts. Are you kidding me? Of course I checked with my sisters because they're all still back in New York. And they were like, yeah, yeah. Tony Cruz. I, I saw him the other day doing this. He's still playing drums. He's doing this. He's teaching all this great stuff. And so I reached out to him. We connected after many, many phone calls. Um, the homage sort of turned into many times throughout the 
I guess about 20 years, I had been approached about giving my blessing, my family's blessing for there to be some sort of a documentary that other people wanted to do. And I just, it didn't, it didn't feel right for one reason or another. And um, now Tony, you know, appears and he's like, I want to do something from love. And he allowed me the time to really sit with it. And I took weeks and weeks to think about it. And what I came back with is, you know, I've always said no or thank you or passed or, but if, if you're going to do this, maybe we should just do it. And maybe I should make some phone calls and just see if anybody even remembers who my father is, all the artists he played with, all the producers, all of this. And I, I think long story short, um, I was shocked, not because I didn't know what my father had created and who he was as a teacher and as a person, but the legions of people that still carried him with them after so many years. I credit any consistency factor, concentration level, and of course, independence ability, and focusing on internals of what's going on when I'm doing it, um, to be able to really hear it and sort of multitask at the same time while I'm playing, to be able to hear the, inter- the real details of the internals of the groove. I credit all of that to Gary's studies. And Tony understood that I. I didn't want to do something that was going to not be authentic. I, it was important to me that my father's integrity be upheld first and foremost. And majority of the requests that I had gotten in the past, I, it probably was me. I was probably just gun shy, but they were uh, much more about, making a story and and there's no story to make because it's already there and so it's kind of just about being honest and tapping into how vulnerable you could be as an artist how vulnerable you can i can allow this to be how vulnerable tony wants to be so after a couple of calls we sort of looked at each other when every one of my phone calls were picked up and met with either tears or just gracious, gracious love I got back. And we just sort of looked at each other and said, I think we got to do this. And he's like, I think we got to do this. And we have a running joke because it does. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's bringing up a lot. It's, um, it's very multi-leveled because he's not just my dad. He was, a teacher for me from the time I could remember. I mean, two, three years old. Um, And it was equally emotional and is equally emotional to Tony along with many, many other people. So it's like, we're all on this trip together and being able to do this, you know, being in the music industry, as I'm sure anybody listening that is in the music industry, and of course you, Dave, everything is about productivity. 
it's about the bottom line and it's about what can you do for me? And there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's what it is. It's the exchange. I personally have lived my entire life under those circumstances, being a singer and record deals and touring. And, um, I really wanted a break from that. So the fact that I had reconnected with somebody that was, that's known me since I'm like this big. And he was like, this is all about love. And if this ended up in a library somewhere and a kid did a book report on it 50 years from now, then I really feel like we're paying forward and showing people like what this man has actually done for so many people and, and how he's like, we all are at the same time. This isn't about like making somebody sound great. It's about like being human, being a drummer, being a dad, juggling this, juggling that, and then hanging out with Burt Bacharach and Dionne Warwick and, I mean, those things, it's, it's like a multi-leveled thing. And sometimes Tony and I just look at each other and the running joke is I just say, oh, you're a fucking asshole, Tony. Because <laughs> it's just running me through this and I'll be like, okay, 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 okay. Okay, yes, all right. Okay, we do this uh, and we're just, you know, my term is that we're holding space for each other as we sort of walk this road. And you know what, David? the journey is actually good enough. So I'm, I'm okay. Like I'm not worried about tomorrow with this, this, this thing has been mind blowing and that's kind of enough. So Tony and I partnered, we formed Guruji productions and about a year and four months ago, we started filming. We thought we'd film like 10 people. We're up to uh, over a hundred. So interviews with other musicians, with students of your dad, about your dad. And even people like that were influenced by my father, but weren't direct students, like um, one of my favorite drummers in the world, Steve Gadd. Sure. Great. Yeah. There's some B-roll footage of Tony picking me up at the airport in New York and him saying, Oh, Hey partner, what's up? No, no, what's up? He's like, well, you might want to get a good night's sleep tonight because, um, we got Steve Gadd in the morning. Oh, man. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, that was just, wow, man. For me is, I don't geek out about a lot of people, but yeah. man, it was incredible. And he sat there just going, wow, look at these credits. Oh, I remember meeting your dad in the studio and he gave me this my first jingle or one of my first jingles. And, and my mom remembers my dad taking my mom to some little club, I think in Westchester or something early, early on and saying, there's this drummer out there, man, and he's going to be a fucking monster. And mom, my mom says, that was Steve Gadd. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's people like that. It's, it's, um, it, it was a, a, a build. So I think our wish list was, Burt Backrack and Dionne Warwick. And we were very, very, we're very real about this. So we're like, in a perfect world, maybe they would remember him and maybe this. But we were doing students and we were doing like Bobby Rydell, which was just awesome. Amazing. And uh, Sissy Houston, we did. And like, I think I have a little list here. Yeah. Kenny Arnoff. I was playing in, the, in New York City with this band, this fusion band. And, um, 
somebody hit me to uh, Gary Chester. You should take lessons. I'd already been studying with Alan Dawson. I practice eight hours a day, and I'm trying like, oh my god, I got to try to sound like Billy Cobb and Steve Gadd and and Steve Smith and oh my god, I mean. I'm way behind, not to mention Bonham and everybody else. Like, how am I going to catch up to these guys? I was playing Beethoven's 7th timpani five hours a day, working on my technique. Now I'm, what was I thinking? You know, I'm freaking out. I hear about Gary, so I go and take a lesson with Gary. They just said, no, he's great, man. You got you to gotta take a lesson with him. I said, well, I'm already studying with this guy, Alan Dawson. No, 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 you got to study with him. This guy's got something different. So I call up Gary. <laughs> He was like talking to the mafia. Hey, hey, who's this? It's Kenny Aronoff. says, hi, Kenny, what do you want to do? You know, I said, oh, I heard about you. I want to take a lesson. Sure, kid. You know, that's what I got. When are you available? You know, we figure it out. Come down there. Guy completely cracked me up. I loved him immediately. There's this little guy, you know, Italian guy, smoking a cigarette. He's got glasses on. Um, oh, we sat for hours and hours with Hal Blaine. Love Hal Blaine, right? It's great. Oh, it's just great because he's the West Coast, you know, the West Coast cat, and Gary Chester is the East Coast cat, and they're just amazing. And he was so gracious about that. On um, Ben Weckel, Neil Sedaka, oh man, so many people. Stan Applebaum, this amazing arranger composer in New York City, who's ninety five years old. That was one of my favorite interviews. Um, we went over to Modern Drummer and we interviewed Mike Dawson, who's somebody who has never met my father and studied out of the book, like on his own. And to sit with him, I call him a kid because he looks so young, but I was really taken aback by the fact that he sat there, um, talking about the philosophy of drums, which, uh, leaked into the philosophy of life which leaked into the philosophy of being a business person and i'm like wait a minute you got all of this from reading music notes and i know the new breed has got words in it and all sorts of stuff but there it's just it's this way of communicating that my dad had that has seemed to have left this residue over everybody. And of course, being his kid, I knew that, but I thought it was just me, you know, <laughs> you know, and that, I mean, I knew it wasn't just me because there was legions of students in and out of the house and stuff like that. But um, it's just, yeah, we're interviewing so many people. Oh, yeah. Oh, my buddy, David Gottlieb. Um, Danny Gottlieb. Oh, yes. Dan Gottlieb. Yeah. Yeah. He was a student of my dad's and he's been so great. And everybody has been. Billy Amendola from Modern Drummer. Um, Ken Dashow, who is a, a radio DJ forever in New York, staple radio DJ. And he remembers dad. He plays a lot of his stuff. Um, I'm looking at my list here. Um, who else? Oh, Tony Orlando. <laughs> wow, very cool. Mike Stoller. Um, Peter Erskine. Wow. Beach out. And like everyone else who was a child of the 60s, you know, 
popular backpack fan because of the originality of the approach of the drumming. The way that Gary Chester played on this record was super imaginative, and he's coming up with timekeeping solutions that go beyond just play the right stick on the hi-hat, play this here. He's, 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 he's coming up with parts. Jim Keltner. Just like these people are walking into my house, David. Wow. I answer the door. Who is it? Hi, baby. It's Dionne Warwick. Is this Gary's daughter? Wow. I'm like, yeah. She's like, can't smoke in your house. (laughs) I'm like, you can smoke anything you want in my house, Dionne Warwick. (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, it wasn't coming from a lack of knowledge it was coming from a humbleness that i was taught as a kid that it's not that i was like surprised like oh you care about my dad it was more that i can't believe you're still remembering him when i was a kid i really wanted to play the drums really badly and my dad was like you know there were five kids in the family we lived in a big not in a big house, but a two-story house in Brooklyn with my uncle's family. And he's like, forget about it. no drums. <laughs> and I really wanted drums. So I had bongos and I had maracas. And I was like, I don't want no. Okay. So I got into the bass and everything, but I always wanted to play the drums. And later on in life, I did get my own set and everything. In the middle of the 80s, uh, there was a gig that kind of transformed my international life. And that was Chick Corea. And I met this young drummer, Dave Weckler. I'll help you learn some stuff. And I had my sticks and my pad, and I'd bring them on the road. I always felt like, I don't have enough independence. I don't, you know, I'm, I have independence on the bass, but there's a lot of synergy and a lot of stuff that happens, and it's, it's different. The drums, is, the drums are uh, the most incredible polyphonic, you know, independence-oriented instrument that exists. So he said, you got to get this book. He said, I studied with this guy, Gary Chester, and changed my whole way of thinking. I said, really? So I got it. I still have my book, see? And here I was on the, you know, one of the most important gigs of my life, playing with your career. I'd be in my hotel room with this book on the bed. I had sticks. You know, my, my left and right feet were on the floor for the hi-hat and the bass drum. And I had my, uh, you know, and I had my hands for the snare and the hi-hat or the cymbals. And he had me, I mean, it was crazy. I would work on my, my limbs and, okay, I have this rhythm here, this rhythm, this rhythm over here, the four rhythms. Then it was like, okay, now you got that? Okay, that's pretty good. Now you got to sing this other thing. <laughs> We're getting the picture, Katrina, of who your dad was. But for those people who may not know who Gary Chester was, can you sort of, I mean, I'm, I just went down the discography and I'm like, you're right. I mean, I had the pleasure of interviewing Hal Blaine and his discography, but Gary's discography is incredible. The Coasters, The Love and Spoonful, Van Morrison, Brown Eyed Girl. I mean, you know, Jim Croce. Oh man, all of those songs with Jim Croce. Tell, tell us about your dad for those who may not know who Gary Chester is. Gary Chester is... Um a little guinea from the Bronx who wanted to be a drummer and his dad wanted him to be a barber. They were immigrants. And so in order to play in the alleyway on boxes, my grandfather would tell him, learn how to cut hair and then you can go back there. And so my dad would listen to the, these like transistor radios and play drums back there. And, However crazy this sounds, it is totally true. At 13 years old, um, 
in the eighth grade, which I think is 13 years old, he ran away from home to be a drummer. Wow. Where'd he go? Well, that's part of this discovery, Dave. (laughs) This has been pretty wild because, I mean, not asking those kinds of questions, you just would never have known. So the more investigating that we did, I was calling everybody and anybody that I knew. We pieced together that my father ended up with a piano player. Oh, what was his name? Um, oh, wow, it's really escaping. Oh, Clarence Prophet. Clarence Prophet is a piano player that was originally from Chicago that moved to Harlem. So we're talking like a man in his mid-20s at the time. This would never happen today, right? Right, right. And little Gary Chester comes. He's in the eighth grade. He, 13-year-old kid. Yes, yeah. and he's sneaking into jazz clubs, and and he wins the uh, – he's like – I think there's three winners or something like that for the World's Fair, um, Gene Krupa. Oh, sure. And Gary was one of the winners at that age. Yeah. And then he runs into Clarence Prophet, and he moves in with him. And so Gary Chester's living with Clarence Prophet and Clarence Prophet. I mean, there's so many bands that Clarence Prophet has played with, but I'd, I'd rather everybody just Google Clarence Prophet. You can find him on YouTube. Um, and he, he took my dad under his wing and he started playing jazz. And from there, he went on the road with a trio, the Milt Hearth Trio. <laughs> Really, and he's just this young guy, and he's he's really doing it. He's touring and he's traveling around, and um, I guess it was like the mid fifties. He started um, getting commercials, just commercials, um, dog food or cat food, you know, beer and stuff like that. And around fifty nine, sixty, around then. He gets called in because Panama Francis can't make a date in New York. This is all part of the whole Brill Building era. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So if anybody doesn't know what the Brill Building is, back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, there was one building that was a, a, a one-stop shop. And it was literally proposed to me by like Jeff Barry and Mike Stoller um, and all of these like engineers that were working at the time and producers at the time that the first floor you'd walk in and there would be like um, an assessor. What do you do? Do you write music? Do you play? Do you sing? Okay. We like you go to the second floor and it was writers if you're an artist and you're getting songs and you're writing with them. And then if that works out, then you go to the third floor. It's a manager. I mean, I'm being facetious because I don't really know what the order was, but um, you would just keep going up and up until you had a record deal. And the next thing you know, you're making records. And the Brill building was this historical landmark of artists like Neil Sedaka and Carol King that are writing these songs 
they'll write them in one room, go upstairs, um, rent out mirror sound, the best studio players in New York city at the time would be called for these sessions. And once my father went in to sub for Panama Francis, it went so great that it never stopped. And the next thing he knew, he was doing three to four to five sessions a day. Every day from Brown Eyed Girl to Twist and Shout to, um, oh my word. um, Oh yeah, Sugar Sugar by the Archies. Um, He was working with people like Artie Butler. Artie Butler, an amazing, amazing artist in his own right, but also like he started as an engineer. These, these are people that without these people, we would never have gotten the artists like the Coasters and uh, Jay and the Americans and the drifters. Um, the drifters. Oh, man. So many. I mean, I really need to be having a list in front of me when I do interviews. So I hope you'll forgive me that I just... Great. I'm so inundated. You yeah. do? Yeah, I got a list. Yeah. Once he started, it really didn't stop. And I mean, same as Al Blaine, three to four sessions a day to the point where dad and like Bernard Purdy and um oh, who's that other wonderful guy that dad loved so much? Yeah. Louis Belson? No, he was the session guy that oh man. What was his name? Buddy Salzman. Okay. Okay. The world needs to know about Buddy Salzman. Yeah. So dad loved Buddy Salzman. Buddy loved dad. And in this day, this was a a time of camaraderie. This is a time when all these cats would get together, all these drummers, and they all had all these sessions and they didn't want to be lugging their gear or have the radio registry people lug their gear. So they all would donate a kit like Gary, my daddy would donate like two or three, uh, Bernard Purdy donated like two or three and all these drummers would donate kits and they would stock them and store them in mirror sound, bell sound, all the studios where all this stuff was going on and they would share and use their equipment. And if one cat was in the middle of something and he had another session, another cat would come in and just, there was no, it wasn't, they were too busy to be competitive. And there was enough work for everybody. And it was just like a loving family. They hung out together. They got stoned together. They drank together. They were grateful. And they knew what it took to be able to sit in that A chair. And this rhythm section was called for everything. And that was people like Gary Chester and um, oh, the bass player. Billy Psycho was on guitar. Um, you know, I can't remember, but the, this is all the stuff that's in the documentary right, and right. you got to watch the documentary. <laughs> yeah. You got to watch the documentary because yeah. it's sort of, um, you know, Denny Tedesco's a friend and he did the wrecking crew. He's Tony Tedesco's son. Um, Donnie, T- what? Yeah. Tommy Tedesco. I'm sorry. <laughs> Tommy Tedesco's son. And he, he's going to interview me for the documentary because we thought it would be really cool to have somebody else that knows what it's like to grow up with somebody like that. Yes. Exactly. And 
he did the wrecking crew and we compare notes all the time. Um, his dad and my dad, and I'll call up how Blaine and say, you know, when you did this, like what's something like my dad would have done when he did this. And he'd be like, Oh, you know, I don't, Katrina, we didn't give a shit. Like I wanted this to happen. And so then I would say, Gary, you do it. And Gary would say, you do it. And then we would get this person to do it. And I think that's what I love the most about this whole discovery is when I entered into the music business, um, not entered in it, but when I started to actually see a little bit of success, it, it already started to build up that there needed to be somebody that was um, doing better than somebody else. Yeah. It just, the vibe I'm getting Dave about that era is that it just wasn't like that. Right. It was about the song. It was about the lyrics. It was about the entire story. And if you're there to be seen and heard, you're probably not the right cat for the session. Right. Yeah. And man, I love that humbleness. I love that you're a bigger star to me when you can devote and sacrifice for the, the big picture. And I think my dad was really tapped into that yeah to serve the song serve the music and especially you know as a drummer that's something that i've learned from so many drummers i'm sure your dad thought that way as well so yeah from your experience with him and some of your research i'm sure do you know or maybe you had conversations with him what inspired him to write the new breed the independence part of it, the, the fact that at that time in that era, he could be doing something like Franti and Taishi and then have to go to Van Morrison to then have to go to Patti LaBelle to then have to go to Jim Croce to then go into a Pepsi jingle in order to be able to stay in that a chair and be a part of this kind of rhythm section, the quality of players in this rhythm section. I mean, Burt Backrack looked at us during the interview and said, if Gary couldn't make the session, I moved the session until he could make it. That's pretty amazing. I mean, yeah. I was just, I mean, where do you go from there? Right? right. So I think what inspired him was less about, you need to cross over. You don't, I mean, he wasn't, he didn't believe in crossing over because he felt like it short shifted you. You could be more open, you know, you could be more fluid, but it, but what it felt like as a singer, as his daughter and as a stage performer from my side of it, it was no different than him teaching me to ground down through my feet when I would stand on stage. And that if I lost the ass out of my feet, if I lost my rooting or my grounding, that I wouldn't be able to hit high notes and then scoop all the way down to low notes. And to me, it feels like when I look at it through the lens of the students and other drummers, what my father gave me was the ability to be independent with this voice, rasp, no rasp, while all staying very authentic to yourself. It's not like you're just, oh, I'm a chameleon and I'll be in all of it has to contain integrity. And if you can lock into that place, 
you could be a successful studio drummer. And that was really what it was. How does Gary Chester, how does Hal Blaine, how did these people do that? It was because it's not like it is today where what kind of drummer are you? Oh, I'm fusion, jazz fusion. That's it. That's it. Just jazz fusion. Oh, I'm just metal or I'm just, you know, rockabilly. He believed that it, when you're sitting in that groove, when you have that groove, when you have that shit, that you should be able to just take off, man. And that is really, really true as a performer. Because whenever I would try to hit notes, I sucked. Whenever I would try to reach for something that I was thinking about prior, I could just see it in footage, you know, where my neck is up and I'm, just, and I'm like, I, yeah, okay. I, I understand where she's going, you know, looking at myself. I understand where you're going, but the less it really is the more. And, and if you listen to my father's playing on all those tracks, there's nothing like, right. it's all spacious and it's allowing the singer and the lyrics and everything to have a deeper meaning if you're a cat that can connect to that deeper meaning, if you're not, then it's just a great pop song and that's cool too. But I think to answer your question, that really, that fluidity in life, being able to have that groove, but still play anything, anytime and faster isn't necessarily better, louder isn't necessarily cooler. And like, why are you doing this? Like, ask yourself that question. Like, why do you want to be a lead singer? Why do you want to be a drummer? What, what is this about? Who in you is up there doing this? And what are you giving people that they can't get somewhere else? And I mean, at five years old, to hear my father say, you need to eat, sleep, and shit music, it's powerful stuff. I mean, I, you can't come out the same five-year-old kid you know playing with barbies right right exactly. but it was hard i'm not gonna lie he was a real um he could i mean any student will tell you man he didn't hold any punches he would just that sucked it's horrible do it again you're wasting my time get out of here i heard him kick students out i heard him be absolutely horrific but it but you never felt that the love was gone ever he had this amazing ability to allow you to feel loved at the same time as he was telling you to go fuck yourself. <laughs> it's the only way I can describe That's a skill it. right there, right? That is a skill, right? Yeah. My, my partner, you know, he's actually here. I would love for him to say hi to you. Sure, you mind? please. I'd love to. Who is your partner? My partner is Anthony Cruz, Tony Cruz, that little drummer. Yeah, all right. That, that was, I was five and three. Yes. He'll tell you about the first time he met me. And please. he was you know, walking into Gary Chester who didn't take kids. And the uniqueness of Tony is that he got Gary Chester prior to dad sitting down and going, you know, I'm going to write a book. The new. I mean, it wasn't even his idea, you know, how do you be a studio player? Fluidity, independence, you know, and the challenge of like, good is just not good enough. You always have to strive to be better, but not because there's an end result to it but because that's where the creativity really comes out. And dad practiced a lot of this shit on Tony. This is the guy that I was telling you about in the beginning. Yeah. My name is Tony Cruz, Tony. and I'm the proud partner of Katrina Chester. 
and uh, sister from another mister, if you will. (laughs) Got it. Uh, As Katrina said before, I met her, I was nine or 10 when she was five and Gary loved her and adored her and, you know, said, this is my baby and listened to this commercial she just did. And (laughs) was it Linden's? I was good at Lenders Lenders Bagelettes. Bagelettes. Bagels, wow. And she did her first, well, I don't know if it was her first one, but it was, you know, it was a national commercial, five years old, you know. And and you studied with Gary, correct? You were a student of his? I was a I was a student of Gary's for ten years. Wow, ten years. Yeah. How did, how did you meet him, and what was that first lesson like? Well, uh, I met him. Uh, my mom's best friend had a daughter who was studying piano with a guy named Billy Costas, who was a studio musician in New York City at the time. And my mom asked her friend to ask him about a drum teacher. He's like, "You got to call this guy Gary Chester." And so. Um, so we did. We called him, and he's like, "Look, I don't take young kids, but come, I'll meet him." And um, I went, and um, I was I was very uh, intimidated because he looked like Charles Bronson, as you know, and and all that kind of stuff. And um, but he was he was very again, as Katrina said, he was a loving guy. And um, what he did with again, looking back hindsight, it was genius. He 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 took another young guy my age and created this kind of competition thing so that we were practicing our single and double stroke roles and would have to come back and we would all play them. And it really made me go home and want to practice. If he were still here, would there be anything you guys would want to say to him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, here. Here's my yeah. belt. Did you see my belt? It's probably not. It's bullshit. <laughs> That this is his belt. He would wear this all the time. It's because he didn't like bullshit, you know. Um, it's, you we, we're laughing because this is one of the things we ask everyone at the end of the interview. That's funny. That if you could say something to Gary Knight right now, what would you say? Right, and we've gotten an array of things where people have broken down into tears and all those kinds of things. Right. So, um, you know, I I, I would. And, and again, I don't want to give away what I want to say in the documentary or anything, but I am just so grateful and, and just full of grace for this man to have to have crossed paths with him in my life is 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 a blessing that I could 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 not have even begun to pray for, right? And it, it happened to me, little old me from the Bronx, right? And so um, I just I, I honor that, I love that, I miss him. Uh, I feel like he's kind of watching over sometimes you know and um and i think he's had something to do with this coming together we've had these little experiences um and boy let me tell you he's great to listen to you know when you become a listener right when you become like you can listen to the drum track only or the violins only or whatever Mm -hmm. and you listen to what gary did on his records man did he leave us a body of of music right rhythmically right and and melodically in some ways but rhythmically mostly um i, I thank him on behalf of the world for for that and the burt backracks of the world for for that you know hmm. i don't think i can answer that yet i think that's part of my journey that i probably could answer it but i couldn't put it into one thing 
Could you I put mean, it into a sentence? I mean, don't give it away because we're gonna we're gonna have our interviews see, tomorrow. There, to me, there's no giving it away because I don't know anything. So okay. if I said something now, I would probably say something different tomorrow. Okay. But, um, like I don't have an agenda. So in what would I say to him if you he were here now? Here's the phone. Hey, Katrina, it's dad. <laughs> hey. Hey, your dad wants to talk to you. We're, we're in the middle of doing this documentary. He just wants to say a quick something. What would you say to him? It's hard to put into one word. I... A sentence? I mean, I... I wouldn't say to him, Not wouldn't, I would, miss you or love you because no. I feel like he, I feel like he's here more than ever. My, my things with him would be, um, wanting to tell him like the stuff he did with me. I, 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 I fully am unmasking and have been for 30 years since you died. And I think there's still so much more to go. And I understand as a grown up now how so much of what you did just didn't land right. And it didn't land right to everybody. And, you know, personally, I, I hope that he's okay with that. And I hope that, you know, his family life and the things that he maybe would have done differently could be seen through the light of practice, you know, and not through the light of like being a perfect dad or being a perfect drummer. Like I didn't, I wish I could say that to him, like almost say you're good, you know, and he never really cared what people thought of him. He was a straight talker and, like we started, you know, you had that remarkable ability to insult you and then you would book like a double lesson and you weren't really sure why, but because there's this giant hole in wise eldership, he fulfilled this thing and there's nothing wrong with the people out there that met him and didn't get that. Like there's, that's okay. Whether it's his children or session people or students, it almost seems like he was there for, to serve a purpose for everybody individually as we all are. And if you didn't get it, it's cool. It's all right, because it's being fed to you in some other way. So, like, Gary's not the be-all and end-all here, but the stuff that you carried, Dad, that's what I would say. The stuff that you carried, I get it. 
It's fantastic. This has been an incredible interview for me. When is the documentary coming out, guys? And Ooh, you tell me. <laughs> okay. So well, still a work in progress. I mean, we don't know. Um, but it, could, it could be longer. It could be shorter, right? We, we're, we're on this journey, and we've met amazing people. And if someone amazing comes that could help us do it in six months, great. Yeah. But, but the bottom line that you need to know is that we're not going to get it out unless it's right. And, and you know what? And in the right word, it'll, we need to just feel like good to some extent, but we also have to pull a Gary and say, fuck it because we're not going to make everybody happy. And when it's not going to be everybody's story about Gary, but we're doing it and um, we're going to do the best we can to try to put what's in our heart out here and no there's no such thing as perfection man and if we go down that road then i might as well be making records again you know for major labels maybe when the movie comes out too you'll you'll re-interview us or you'll uh help us get the word out yeah that's great well i definitely want to at least say that i think the fun part about this is that once again it's a collaborative effort here so like all gary chester family you know drummer things we want this to get out to everybody and we're going to be doing uh crowdfunding great to try to push this along yes quicker or just make it that the what's in here and here could come out quicker so we shortly are going to be releasing uh, a little trailer that um, we're going to make available through Gary Chester's Facebook page and YouTube channel and uh, Vimeo. And we're in the process of building a website for the documentary. You'll be able to get in touch with anybody in Guruji and in the production company, because not only do we want everybody to be a part of it, you know, funding wise, of course, I mean, everybody needs that help when you're not, going the traditional route. I mean, that is just what it is today. And we're kind of happy it's that homegrown thing. But also in terms of like, there are many more people out there that have footage, audio. What about voicemail, you know, voicemail tapes of Gary leaving an answering machine voicemail, um, pictures that you don't think we have. Like, this is about you, too. This is about all of us. So anything anybody has, memorabilia-wise, or in the studio from the Brill Building era or during session work, commercials, jingles, please go to my father's Facebook page. It's um, facebook.com backslash Gary Chester the drummer. And just PM, you know, private message. And... um it's everything has been returned to everybody. So if you send it to us, we like scan it really high resolution and we get it to you immediately. And we don't mess around with that sort of stuff. And you get all the credit you need, you know, whatever it is. But I, I, as his daughter, maybe we wouldn't use it in the documentary, but if there is something out there, man, we would love it. And we would love to involve you all in this process because that's the really cool band type feeling that I think Tony and I are digging about this. So 
that and when the crowdfunding starts, we would love for that. We're going to have like giveaways and all sorts of fun stuff, man. And we've got some real genuine interest. Katrina might even give a, a, a manicure or something. We're going to do something silly. Shit, like right. manicure by Katrina. Yeah, like look at that. Do you want a manicure by me? I don't think so. There's not a lot going on there. She does make a hell of a coffee too, let me tell you. I didn't make a good latte. She makes a good latte. I do. Thank you so much. Well, you know what, guys? I feel like I have gotten a a drum lesson, life lesson from Gary Chester today. That's great. Chester and Tony Cruz, thank you so much for being on Musicians on the Record today. Thanks for having us. Well, thank you for, for looking into Gary. I really appreciate it. Very cool episode. What did you think about that? We'd love to hear from you wherever you're listening from in the world. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share it. And if you want to watch this interview, there's a video too. You can check it out on our YouTube channel, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, musiciansontherecord.com. Until next time, I'm David Ward. Thanks for listening.